Good morning. Boy, we are great, great, glad to see you. What a great day for us to be together. For those of you that are here with us on campus and those of you that are joining us online this morning at Church at Home, we are really super glad that you are here. And so we are one church meeting in many locations. There are two rooms this morning. I don't know if you realize that or not. There's this room and then there's Church at Home also. Those of you that are still meeting with us there. And we want to say welcome to all of you. And we're excited about being able to speak into your heart from scripture today. Boy, I tell you, we have missed you. I, I don't know if you realize that or not, but we have missed you so greatly and that we are just really super glad that you're here. We're get, I mean, this is like a transition for us to get back into normal campus worship. And, and also what we understand is this, that we have through this process developed church at home. And so that's something that doesn't go away. It stays with us. So we're glad that you're here and we continue to develop that and we want this to be, yes, two rooms, but we're all together as one church. So welcome to all of you this morning. So let's start by sharing some scripture together. We have been talking from the book of Acts for a few weeks today, uh, a few weeks about the church. And we've been talking from Acts chapter two, starting with verse 42. I'm not going to read there, so hang on. But I want you to turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter two, verse five. And we'll start at verse 14 in just a moment. But we talked about the church and what we discovered in Acts chapter two is this. We discovered that there is a blueprint for you and I as the church. And that blueprint was given to Luke as he wrote these scriptures to us. And so we've covered a few of those points. There's four of them. The first was a few weeks ago. We talked about to learn about the gospel story. And that is that the gospel story results in you and I having gospel conversations with other people in our life. And secondly, it's that of about gospel action within our life and how we care for our community through the cross. And then the next week we talked about to care. And that is that you and I are Freed to the freedom to care and serve one another. That we were not created just for ourselves and to care for ourselves, but we are created to care for others and to serve others. And then today we're going to talk about fellowship. We're going to talk about community, and it's in two parts this week and next week. And then the last week we talk about that of worship. But let me talk to you in the room and those who are meeting with us from church at home about that of community together. So before we go to Galatians, I want to read to you, or I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians, I want to read to you from the book of Genesis for a moment. Because if we're going to talk about community, we have to go back from the beginning. So Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, you've probably heard this before, maybe it's new to you. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And when I read this, and and how that lines up a community, I realized this is a perfect model of community. What do you mean, Mark? It's that God the Father sends the Son. We find that the Son is glorifying the Father in his ministry on the earth. And then the Holy Spirit is making much of Christ. And, and so what we realize is this is perfect community. And in that perfect community, we're created in that image. So when I, when I thought about that, what I realized is this. I come to this conclusion that from the beginning, you and I are built for community. We're all built for community. We're built to do this life with each other. And, and, and that's a beautiful thought because I looked back at Genesis and I realized here's what happened. God walks with Adam, but he see that, he sees that Adam needs another human being with him. So God creates Eve to make Adam smarter. I mean, that's really exactly what happens, right? Yes. Uh, where would we be without that? And then sin shows up and community is broken. 
is what happens. And so God makes a promise promise to you and I in Genesis 3 and 15 that he is going to fix this broken community. And so over thousands of years after that, God begins to reinforce that promise and that of the coming of Christ. And then at the appointed time, he sends his son to simply die for you and I. It's what we call the already we are redeemed, but that of the not yet. And that is that our redemption is not complete until the return of Christ. So in saying that, what we realize is this, that we still struggle. We still struggle with relationships. We still struggle with community. So how do you navigate these relationships, especially when we have differences? Oh, that's huge, right? How do we navigate these relationships in our life, especially when we have differences? And that's what Paul speaks to us in the book of 2 Corinthians about in chapter 5 and verse 14. So let me read to you for a moment, verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us. By the word control, write in your Bible, because it's okay to write in your Bible, write the word compels. Because I think that's a powerful word that we find in many other translations. So I read it using the word compels for the love of Christ compels us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. So a couple of thoughts that gets us into the talking about community with one another is this, that Christ's love for us compels us to, we're going to complete that sentence in a moment together. But first, we got to talk about what Paul means here. Is he talking about my love for God or is he talking about Christ's love for us? What is it that compels us? And when we read this contextually, because we always say here at Hope Fellowship, it context is everything. And what is he compelling us to do? We're going to read that in a moment. But contextually, when you read verse 14, what we realize that he's talking about God's great love for us, not necessarily my love for him, but it's about God's great love for you and I, because he says one has died for all. And it's very clear what he's talking about. That it is Christ's love for me and Christ's love for you that compels us in this life. But when I thought, what is the word, our st- statement compels us, what it mean? Well, when you think about that, you probably think, oh, that means to push us or to draw us. I don't know whether you're in the room or whether you're at church at home, how you really think about that word. But what does that word mean to compel us? Well, when I begin to look at it, what it really means here is this. It's something that keeps something in our life from falling apart. It's something that keeps us from allowing relationships and community to slip through our fingers. So I brought this to to illustrate with you this morning, and I have to move my water because if I move my water, I'm going to get sand in my water. It's like the beach, right? And I brought this to remind you and to set your thinking that some of you are really wanting the beach anyway. So I brought this with you. And, And what I realize is this, that when he says that it compels us, that what it does is this, it's like this holding sand in our hand. And you can grip this for a certain amount of time, right? You can grip it for a certain amount of time, but eventually as my grip is weakening and I become fatigued and gripping this, that what happens is the sand begins to sift through my hand. And no matter how hard or tight I hold on to this, then what I realize is that at some point in all of this, that this sand is going to eventually sift through my hand. Here's what Paul is saying to us about the love of God for us compelling us in life. He's saying that as it relates to relationships and community, that the love of Christ so compels him that that fact that God loves him, it so compels his life that he has no other option in life, but that is to love others and to make Christ known through gospel words and gospel actions. I thought that is so powerful that this idea This idea 
that Christ loves us so grips my life. It so grips your life this morning, this gospel story that Christ in his great love died for me when I was an enemy, when I was disobedient to him, when I didn't follow his direction in life. And, and what I realized that it's so powerful that I can't push it to some far corner of my mind and I can't dismiss it to some corner of my heart this morning. And that's what he's teaching us, that I can't make decisions in life just to love you when we agree on everything in life. It's not that at all because his great love for me compels me to love others. It's a powerful thought. Listen, the foundation of our community The foundation of our relationships this morning is not that whether you and I agree on everything, because what I've learned something, I've learned something about agreement. Agreement doesn't simply um, constitute truth either, that you can have a lot of people agree on something. It doesn't mean that it is absolutely true. But what I understand is this, that I love you in the context of the work of the cross. Is what this means. I love you in the context of the work of the cross, even when we don't understand each other. He, even when we have things that we can't seem to come to agreement on, it's Christ's love for us that compels us to love one another. That compelling love that God has for you and I, it transcends all the markers of my life. It transcends all the loves of my life. It, it transcends all the relationships, the experiences, all the loyalties of my life. It transcends all of those things with, within my life. And, and that I'm greatly loved by God, it grips me to the point, it holds everything together when I'm struggling to understand others. And what I realize is this, when I'm trying to understand and love others outside of the cross in my life, it's like me trying to continually hang on to sand and I can hang on to it for a short amount of time, but at some point it's going to be sifting through my hand and I can't hang on to it. It's the basis of our relationships. Even when we don't understand, listen, I thought about that this this week, that, you know, markers in my life, that I'm a husband, yes, that I'm a father, absolutely, that I'm a grandfather, I got three granddaughters, you know, I got Emma, I have Abigail, we call her Abby G, and, and then we have um, Sayla Gray, who's going to be here uh, before long, we're excited about that, and then I'm a pastor, I put pastor at the very last thing, did you notice that? I don't know if you, that was a, you were aware of that, but I put pastor, but when I come to this statement that one died for all, What I realize is this, that you and I share the same bloodline, regardless of where we're from, where we're from, or how, how we were raised, we share the same bloodline through that of the gospel. So what that means, that means that you and I are family. And not just inside this building, but outside this building also, that we love our neighbor as ourself, period. We do. We love our neighbor as ourself, period. That transcends all the markers of my life. But here's a thought. I think it's really easy for us in this room and for those of you that are at home. I think it's very easy for you and I to say, oh, yeah, I understand that that, that transcends all all the things, all our similarities and all the things that we agree on. Yes. But just for a moment, imagine that that great love that God has for you and I also transcends all of our differences. And man, when you lay that over your life today in the light of history, in the light of everything that is going on in our world around us, here's what this says to me. 
From my heart, what this says to me is this, that I have an obligation, that I have a responsibility, that I have a commitment to you, that even when I lack understanding and even when you and I disagree, and we're going to disagree, that is life, that this love that Christ has for us is what holds us together as community. And it's not just human effort. Yes, it's not just holding it like this. It's not that. And, and the reality is that some of you at some times in your life are really hard to love. I don't know if you knew that or not, right? Yes, you say, Mark, I was told that on the way to church this morning. But, it, but it's true that all of us find ourselves there and we try to hold things together with our own abilities and, and, and with our own strength, I think. And what I realized, this love of God for us, it transcends the color of our skin. It transcends all of our economics. It transcends whatever political party we may be a member of and how we, pres- how we process all the events in the world around us. And if you're going to talk about community, we can't stop at saying, well, it's the thing that holds our community together. But what we have to say about our community is this, that our community has to look like that of Christ loving us. It has to look that way. And the only way that it looks that way is you and I loving our neighbor as ourselves. So how do we disagree or how do we love those that disagree with us? How do we love those we disagree with? How, how, how does that happen, Mark? That's a great question. I'm glad you asked that. I really, because I come prepared to, I believe, answer that for you this morning, that we love each other through the context of the cross. You say, Mark, we knew you were going to say that, okay? And, 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 and probably someone is sitting at home this morning and, and you are saying the same thing, that we knew you were going to say that. So give us something that we can sink our teeth into this morning, not something that's so ethereal in that and because I believe that outside of truly us trying to love each other through our own ability and our own strength, it's, it's like that trying to hold sand in our hand. And it works for a while, but then at some point when those relationships are stressed by disagreement and we don't see things eye to eye at times in our, in our lives, that then it begins to seep through our fingers. It's the understanding. It's the understanding that Christ loves us, that compels us. You say, you use the term in the context of the cross. Yes, because when I look at the cross, what I realize is this, that the love that Christ showed for me through the cross was unearned and was undeserved. And that's the way I have to love you. Oh, yeah, I have to love you. You hear me say that, right? Did you hear that? Yes, I have to love you. Like I'm somehow forced to love you. Sorry, wrong word, right? Yeah, but that is the way that I am, am called to love you by God. And, and because when I thought about how God loved me in those moments when I didn't understand him, in those moments when, when I was his enemy, yet he loved me and he died for me, and that is the way our love should, should work. And, and I understand that agreement is not always achievable. I realize that. But the truth is that we love you in the context and we love each other in the context of the gospel. It's not, it's not a love based on my abilities. It's not a love that's necessarily based on my agreement with, with you and I. It's like holding sand in my hand. It's formed in the secure foundation of the cross. And that's the fix. That we listen to one another and we respond to each other in love. And can we do that passionately? Yes. 
We are passionate people about things that we believe in. And we are passionate people about the things that we know the scripture teaches. We are passionate about those things in our life. So yes, we can be passionate about it. Can we, can there be great zeal in our discussions? Absolutely. There can be great zeal and we still love each other in those conversations. Because how did Christ respond to our lack of understanding with him? How did Christ respond to our sin? How did Christ respond to our enemies? He responded to you and I with truth and great love. That's the gospel. Oh, that's the gospel. You see, I, I don't know if I can even have you turn and say something to one another this morning, right? I don't know. Is that against the rules? I'm not sure, right? Can, can you do that or not, right? Yes. But, but I think it's time that we learn this, that we can speak the truth with one another and tr- speak it in love. It's okay. It's okay to express ourselves and be passionate about the things that God has given us a passion for. And we listen and we respond in love, just as Christ responded to us in love. But what I understand is this, we live in the already, but the not yet, that we're redeemed, absolutely, but it's not complete. And some, some of you are saying, well, here's what I'm going to do, man. I'm just going to wait till Jesus returns. And when Jesus returns, he's going to fix everything, you know, and everything is going to be made right. And, and, and all injustices are going to be reversed in this world. And yes, that is, he's going to take us back to Genesis, which is his initial uh, uh, thought for intention for you and I as humankind. But I want you to hear this powerfully that we're compelled to love now. Understand that. We're compelled to love today. We're compelled to love in this moment. We're not compelled to love when things kind of smooth over. We're not compelled to love when we're all in agreement. We're not compelled to love when when Jesus returns and he makes everything okay. We're compelled to love now. Now. Today. This moment in our lives. And it's not that I have to love my neighbor. Oh, I got to correct myself because I said this earlier, right? It's not that I have to love my neighbor. But the beauty of all this is that I get to love my neighbor as myself. That is the beauty. And that is truly where you and I find freedom within our our lives. It is that I'm compelled by this overloving love that God has for me. And what I really believe this morning is that. That outside of that love that God has for me and for you, that real community is not achievable. Oh, we can go to church together. Man, we can live in the same town. We can live in the same neighborhood. We can pass each other at Walmart or wherever. We can reside, you know, as a human race. And we say, well, we're all humans. So why don't humans just all get along? And can I tell you, that's not enough. It's not enough. So are you convinced? You say, Mark, what kind of question is that? You know, what, what kind of question are you asking us now is, are you convinced? Well, here's, here's what I want to say to you, and that's our, our next topic. Paul struggled with this. You say, Paul struggled with this? Yes, I'm going to show you this. That Paul struggles with the thing that we're talking about, how this translates into him not only uh, living out the gospel, but that loving others as Christ has loved him because he has a conclusion. He draws from a conviction within his life. And, and he says this in this text because we have concluded this, that one has died for all and therefore all died. The conviction in Paul's life is one has died for all. That's his conviction. Can I tell you this? That has to be our conviction that one died for all. Because if we start anywhere else, anybody in this room or whether you are at church at home this morning, that, that any, if you start anywhere else, then you could leave with the idea that somehow that God may play favorites in, in our lives as, as humanity. Can I tell you this? He is the perfect father. 
And the perfect father never favors his one child over another. Understand that. He doesn't. That he sees us all equally. And that's important that we start there. Because if we don't start there, we might come away from this discussion thinking that somehow that we are favored over other people in this life. And that is not true. There is this equity that God tells us. In fact, he loves us all equally. Those that are born and those that are yet to be born. He's the good father. And that was Paul's conviction. And that conviction flavors everything that Paul says after this. And he's not just talking about the church. No, he's not. Because he says in his statement, one has died for all. So he's talking about all of humanity. He's talking about all of us as human beings that Christ died for all. And anything less than that, anytime you have a thought that's less than that, then you somehow devalue the sovereignty and the love of God himself. I don't care. Oh, that's the way I see things. I don't care about that at all. I love you, but I don't care. Because the reality of this conviction is this, that one died for all. Well, I don't see it that way. Hey, I love you, but I don't care how you see it. Okay. And, and, and that's the truth, right? I don't know how you read that any other way. And that is that one died for all. That's a conviction that we start with. So a conviction in our life has to bring a conclusion. And the conclusion is therefore all died. I love the part where he says one died for all. But, but when he says this, that therefore all died, I don't like that because I don't know what that really means. Is he talking about that we die physical death? Well, I understand that we do. Yes. So that's not what he's talking about. That's a given. Is he talking about dying a spiritual death? Well, we know the work of the cross brings us spiritual life. So what is he actually talking about? And what Paul does for a moment is he takes you and I from the three-inch conversation, I think, to this thousand-foot conversation about our lives. It's exactly what he does. It's what he says in verse 15 that helps us with this conclusion. For he says this in verse 15, and he died for all. He says it again, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. He died for all, that we die to our old ways of life. Oh, don't want to talk about that. No, we're going to talk about that, right? If we venture this far, let's just kind of dive right in. Yes, that, that I live for him. I, I live to serve others in the context of the cross, that compelling love that God has for me. That my old ways, he says, my old ways die in the shadow of the cross and that of the empty tomb is exactly what he teaches us. That biblical community is not, is no longer about the, the, you know, me seeing things and people through the lens of my own, really my own understanding or even my own wants and desires in this life. But I see people and things through the lens of the gospel. Can I say something really hard to you? Well, Mark, that's never stopped you before. I know. Thank you. I appreciate that. So here it is. Where there's no radical changes of our attitudes and where there's no radical changes of how we treat others and love others, where there's no radical changes of our life, then there is no conversion. Hey, our first Sunday back, you got to love me on today, right? Yes, yes. Give you a few weeks and maybe you can feel different. But there's no conversion. There's not. There's grace when we don't get that together. 
Yes, absolutely right. There are times when we miss that. There are times when we want to be right over anything else. Absolutely. There are moments in our lives where we simply say, this is my opinion and I'm not going to budge from this no matter what happens in life, no matter what you say and we won't listen. There are times when we get it right. But outside of that compelling love of Christ within our lives and that being what compels us to love others, then we're simply living life trying to hold sand within our hands. And it's just not, I'm squeezing as hard as I can. It's just not going to work. And maybe that answers a lot of questions for some of us in the room. So where does that lead us? That my life is not my own. That my life is not my own. Oh no, Mark, wait a minute. I'm the captain of my own ship. And and, and I am the master of my own destiny. Have you ever read 1 Corinthians 6 and 19? Can I read it to you? Thank you. Here's what it says. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Oh, we've probably heard that. Maybe you haven't. It's new for you. But what else does it say? Whom you have from God. You are not your own. Boy, you are not your own is what he tells us. For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Oh, can I tell you this? Freedom is an illusion. Well, Mark, I don't like to hear that. Freedom is an illusion because you were called to serve. You see, this is the transition in our lives from just knowing God and compiling some information about Christ in our life, just coming to church and kind of doing all of those things that we know do. And I'm glad you're here and I'm glad you're doing those things. But this is the transition from just doing those things and knowing a little bit about God to that of God being the Lord of our lives, the Lordship of Christ. That, this is that transition that we have to go through within our lives. And, and when, when I read this, I realize that something happened in Paul's life. It did. So I... I have to ask you a question for those of you here, those of you that are at church at home. I have to ask you this question. And the question is this, is Jesus a guest in your house or is Jesus the owner of your house? That's huge, isn't it? Should I sit here for a moment and just wait for you to think about that, right? Yes. Should I have you raise your hands? No, I won't do that. No, because why? Because you know in your own heart, right? You know, is, is he a guest in your house or is he the owner of your home? I think that's important. Oh, well, Mark, I, I, you know, according to the deed and, and wherever I live that, no, I'm not talking about the, the house that you live in that's built with building materials, but I'm talking about you. That's what it's talking about because the answer to that changes everything. And if you say to me today, if you're saying to God, oh, he is the owner of my house, then can I read verse 16 to you? Because it takes us to another level. And here's what it says. And this is the last verse we share together. For now on, therefore, therefore, in other words, there's a connection between that first, that previous statement. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. You see, here's the thought. Great convictions in our life bring change. And when we live by one died for all, then there has to be some kind of change in our life. And there is this irrevocable change in Paul's life in the way that he sees people and the way that he treats people. Now, Paul gets personal, so hang on. You say, Mark, that you're just talking about this because of events in the world right now. No, no. 
I'm talking about this because this is the third part of the blueprint of the church. And God, in his sovereignty, just chose to put it in this moment for you and I. So Paul gets very personal with us. Because Paul, listen, Paul had judged Jesus by outward appearance. That's exactly what he's saying. What do you mean, Mark? Because Jesus didn't look like the Messiah. That he didn't come as a great warrior that Paul thought he would come as. And just remove the Romans from their occupying position. That he didn't come, he didn't come as a king like David and sitting on the throne. And then he died the death of a common criminal. And so Paul judged Christ on those things. And then Paul had a Damascus Road experience. And he realized his assessment of Jesus was wrong. That's personal. That speaks to all of us this morning. Because to know someone according to the flesh is to form an opinion based on human standards and human standards are always based on externals. That one has died for all, therefore all have died changes everything in our lives. It does. It changes everything. And apart from that, there is no community. No community that looks like the gospel. Jesus died a common criminal on the cross or as a common criminal, but he wasn't the criminal at all. We were the criminals. You and I. The brokenness of our lives, our hatred, our bitterness. We were the criminals. Our sinful hearts. But one died for all. And that changes everything. And the lens that we see the world through is that the love of Christ compels us. And I can't push that aside. And I can't place that in a box over here and live somewhere else. But it affects everything that I do and every thought that I have and every moment of my life. And I cannot get away from it. Because convictions bring change. So for a moment, those of you in the room and those of you that are at home, would you just bow your heads to close out all the distractions around you? And maybe close your eyes if you're comfortable and allow me to pray for you and pray with you for a moment. Father, as you speak to our heart today, open our hearts and our minds. That we can't truly have community in our lives outside of your love compelling us.
that the strong conviction that one died for all has to bring some change within our lives that we all die and we all die to old ways in our life. And our heart is opened to loving others even when we can't understand them, even when we are filled with questions at times. But yet, Father, your love transcends all of those things. That our love is based upon the cross, your love for us, that it was unearned and it was truly undeserved. Let us love others in this world, outside these walls, with that great love. And Father, let it begin today. Let us love now. In your name.